0: Welcome to Bikes and Big Ideas, where we bring you some of the most interesting conversations and stories from across the bike world, while also on occasion going beyond bikes to look at some of the biggest ideas and innovations that could help us take better care of this planet that we all call home. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. This episode of Bikes and Big Ideas is brought to you by Outer Bike Mount Crested Butte. The best bike demo in the universe returns to the world's best trails from August 16th through the 18th, and you can choose from over a thousand different bikes while enjoying the world-famous trails of Crested Butte and Mount Crested Butte. All full demo and bring-your-own-bike registrations include access to the lift-served cross-country and downhill bike trails of the Crested Butte Mountain Bike Park, as well as access to classic rides like Lupin, Upper Loop, and the Lower Loop. So register today at outerbike.com, and while you are up at Mount CB, you should most definitely come say hi to us and check out Blister HQ which is located in the Elevation Hotel, which is right next to the chairlifts in Mount CB. So come ride Outerbike, come say hi to us, and come check out Blister HQ from August 16th through the 18th. Sometimes, big ideas are actually very simple ideas that happen to have giant implications. And that gets at the heart of today's episode. Ant Hill Films recently released their latest effort, Return to Earth, and it once again puts on a display of top-notch cinematography and sick bike riding. But this time around, the guys who have brought us breathtaking bike films like Unreal with Brendan Semenick were going for something different, and were going after some bigger stakes. So in this conversation, I talked to Ant Hill's Darcy Wittenberg and Ian Dunn about those stakes, And we also talk about the origins and early days of Ant Hill films, and we discuss some of the locations and riders and cinematography in Return to Earth, and more. And after you listen to this conversation, go ride your bike. And then after you ride your bike, go check out Return to Earth on iTunes or on Vimeo, because in those spots you'll also get access to some extras. And then, go find the latest episode of our Blister podcast, because in a very happy coincidence, our guest this week is the neuroscientist Dr. Michael Merzenich, and Dr. Merzenich and I talk about a lot of the themes and issues that Darcy and Ian and I discuss here. It is a terrific supplement to the conversation with a world-renowned expert in the field, and it very much underscores the message of Return to Earth. But for now, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Ant Hill Films' Darcy Wittenberg and Ian Dunn. Well, I am very happy to be talking with Darcy and Ian. Darcy, why don't we go ahead and just let you go first here. Where are you from? Where do you currently live? And when did you first meet Ian? Uh, Well, I grew up in Vancouver,
1: and currently I'm living in Squamish, where I've been for the last 15 years or so. Um, And I met Ian back in the Whistler days, in the early, mid-90s. Ian was a lifty. And um, yeah, we just met three mutual friends, and um, just started hanging out, riding bikes, and skiing, and all that.
0: Ian, your turn. Where are you from? Where are you currently living? And... What is your primary role at Ant Hill?
2: Um, I'm from North Van as well. I grew up in Vancouver, um, spent a lot of time in Whistler when I was a kid. Um, and after school, we're living up there. That's when I met Darce and then um, moved to Squamish. I think around the same time as Darcy did, a whole bunch of us were moving down here to, to Squamish because it was more affordable to live down here than it was up in the resort. And my role is more on the business side of things. So Darcy really leads, and the rest of the, the crew, um, there's four owners of Ant Hill, myself, Darcy, Darren, and Colin. And the three of those guys lead the creative side of things. My job is to really manage the, more on the business side of things. So to deal with the marketing of the film, sponsorship, getting the money to, to make these projects happen.
0: Ant Hill is now how old? We are about 10 years. 10 years, yeah. yeah. A little over 10 years now. Did you miss the 10-year anniversary?
1: We were deep into making Return to Earth, so it (laughs) probably came and went without us even really realizing it. Yeah, that would have been probably when we were shooting the Hawaii segment, actually.
0: (laughs) Not paying attention to the fact that it was the 10-year anniversary. And so talking a little bit about when you guys met and how you met— Was there already this heavy interest in film production? Yeah, that came after. Actually, how I really
1: got to know Ian um, back in the day was the fact that not too many people were mountain biking. Um, Even though Whistler did have a very strong mountain bike scene uh, at the time, amongst our group of friends, I remember no one really rode. That was kind of the foundation of getting to know each other was through bikes. And then, um, in 2003, um, fast forwarding to then is when we started the collective. I started that together with Jamie Hussein, and Ian was really involved with helping us at that time to put together our sponsorship decks and help us kind of visualize how we should be approaching sponsorship. So, um, yeah. I mean, you really helped out then, but at the time you were working at Tours Whistler, I think.
2: I was working at Whistler Blackcomb and I actually like did a lot of sponsorship for stuff for them. So it was like a really good combination of things. So I kind of took some of the stuff I was learning there and I uh, was able to help, help those guys get, just kind of get the ball rolling. And then they took it and, uh, and it really, it really took off from there and, and, Darcy, Jamie, and the rest of the guys, um, Darren and Colin, who have also met, uh, I just mentioned earlier, they, they really took it, and that's where The Collective grew out of, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, so, so then we did those three films under The Collective. We did The Collective, Rome, and Seasons. And um, there was never really a plan to do three movies. It just kind of one happened after the other. And um, Jamie had always had plans to kind of go back into business um, with his family and and kind of get out of the mountain bike filmmaking thing. Um, but the rest of us wanted to carry forward. So after seasons, we were kind of thinking about how we could reform and what would be the way forward. And then I was talking to Ian a ton at that time and just getting all sorts of advice from him. And he had all sorts of good ideas on how we could do it. Um, and so finally, I think it was just one night at dinner, I was like, would you, well, would you consider quitting your job um, you know, and, and starting a new company, which I honestly didn't expect him to say yes because that was when he was at Tourism Whistler and was director of marketing there. And it was a good job and pretty stable. And obviously, starting a mountain bike film company from scratch is not the most stable move in the world. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so he, of course, was totally down, signed on, and then we just started making plans and. Putting together a pitch deck for um, for Follow Me, which was the first movie under Ant yeah, we just started kind of making it up as we were going along, basically.
2: Yeah, I didn't put a lot of thought into that life decision, <laughs> but it worked out really well. Pretty stoked on how it worked out. <laughs> <Let's do> it.
0: <laughs> so, why the name Ant Hill? Um,
1: that came from. The desire of having a a name that represented a, a group working together, um, and so, I mean, we we had we were the collective before, and I mean, the collective also um, kind of has that same sentiment to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we wanted something that just was different and kind of caught people off guard, and and um, just was a bit of an out there name, I guess, and so. Um, yeah, we we were on a bit of a time crunch to come up with a name, and <laughs> I got I remember getting really like, one day I was just like, okay, I'm gonna read a thesaurus from cover to cover, and I'm gonna write down all the the names or words that I think actually apply to to what we're trying to say here, which is like a group of people kind of with a common goal in mind, um, and I mean ironically, it ended up being in the A category. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, ants are, you know, they're as a group, they're more powerful than they are as individuals. Um, and we have a very collaborative mindset here at Antel and we, we definitely recognize that it's important to work well as a group. So we wanted a name that represented that and, uh, that's where it came
0: from. So. Let's talk about this latest film of yours, Return to Earth. Um, What number film is this under the Ant Hill banner?
2: It's the sixth film that Ant Hill has made. And then if you count the collective, then that's nine films. And then we also made two films with our, uh, a couple of young guys, or a few young guys called The Coastal Crew, um, which was another joint effort. All in, the crew has been involved in 11 different mountain bike film projects.
0: And we'll ask the seemingly simple but maybe trickier question of how do you guys describe this film, Return to Earth?
2: I mean, I would describe it as like a cinematic immersion in mountain biking. Like you can't capture, like recreate the feeling, but when you're on a bike, something happens where you're just, you just kind of like... Are immediately transported into into that moment, and um, so we really wanted to a film that just kind of like like sucked you in and made you feel like you were there on a ride for you know like a, like a thirty five minute kind of ride uh, on your bike where you're just completely surrounded and immersed in nature.
0: I guess I'm curious if filming this one felt more similar to or more different than some of your other projects in this one
1: we just we i felt like we really had a good idea of what we wanted the end result to be and what we really wanted the film to feel like um and that's pretty important in the process is to have that idea in your head of how you want the film to feel Um, because you don't always necessarily know what it is you're going to capture you just can't plan for everything you just don't know what the riders are going to do you don't know what opportunities will present themselves so
2: i think too like one thing that maybe informed like darcy said the idea of the feeling that we wanted to create we had we wanted to do another sort of large feature film like mountain bike film and we had come off doing unreal in 2015 um And that was really like this kind of almost like mountain bike fantasy world where there was all this like over the top stuff. And it had almost been like we created that film intentionally to to feel like that and to almost be like like a viral video in itself. And like the kind of like, oh, my God, did you see that kind of thing? And then we this film in a way was kind of like the other side of that coin of that where we really intentionally wanted to to move away from that this sort of like way over the top crazy stuff into more of like like Darcy said getting back to the roots of the collective and really like the feeling of being on your bike and just just riding your bike.
0: I think that's really well said about, you know, we wanted just this film to be this immer- immersive experience that ultimately just really is a catalyst to want to get people outside on their bikes riding with friends, right? And there is also, a it seems like a pretty significant second theme going on in the film, which is about just time and spending time well. And, you know, this isn't new, right? I mean, smart people and wise philosophers have been urging us to do this for many thousands of years now. But I guess I have found myself kind of wondering whether you guys were just seizing on this ancient and extremely important theme of spending time well while we have it, or whether this was coming from a more personal place or just wherever you guys are in your own lives.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, there's probably a little bit of it going on in our own lives in terms of the fact that we're all... You know in our 40s now and slowly getting older and as you do you start to really become aware of how you're using your time and you know I think everyone every now and then questions am I doing the right thing with my time and am I using it wisely um I'd say that's one part of it and then there is an underlying theme of stepping away from digital distraction in the film and Although we don't really touch on that inside the film, we really wanted to make sure we drove that message home in terms of the marketing um, for the film. And that's, I think, something that we've just seen um, with my kids and Ian's kids and and I think everyone around us, all our friends, that people are spending more and more time um, staring at their phone and staring at screens in general um which isn't necessarily a bad thing if it's done in moderation but i think the problem nowadays is that it's not done in moderation and and there is a whole world out there and huge companies with a lot of money spending a lot of energy trying to get people to spend as much time as possible on screens and so the more we started to learn about that the more we got motivated to be The antidote to that and even even though you know we are creating something that's ultimately shown on screens and we do use social media to market the film we wanted our message to be about okay once you've kind of received this message from us now go outside and go spend your time wisely and if that's biking great but it could be skiing hiking rock climbing whatever it is it doesn't matter but be aware that time is limited, and don't waste it just scrolling on Instagram for hours and hours, and and blow your opportunity to go for a ride that day because you were doing nothing.
2: I think um, I like to to your point too. Like Darcy, kind of covered a lot of the background thinking, and but there's a lot of thinking, even though it doesn't really come out directly. Because, again, we're trying to kind of create this, like, immersive experience versus, like, more like a true documentary where you might get into the details of all this stuff. But behind every segment of that film, there's a, there's thinking about, like, why did we pick that particular subject and show it in that particular way um, to try and kind of, I guess, like, get across all the different ways that um, you can make better use of your time, if you're more conscious of it. Um, and another really cool thing that, uh, that Darcy and the guys did is they did interviews with a bunch of, um, older people, like 70 plus people who we really respected who had really cool opinions that we thought are really like a, a really good outlook, um, to kind of help us inform that message so that we we could kind of almost like pass on what they had to say and what they had learned in their lives. And, and that idea of really, like you said, it's, it's ancient wisdom. It's not something new. Um, but it's something that we can always be thinking about is, you know, like what are you going to do with the time that you're go- that you're, that you've been given and each one of us has a finite amount of it. And, um, the older you get in life, the more and more aware of that fact, uh, you become. And if you can be more aware of it earlier then you can get more, more out of your life. And it seems like a lot of our society now is actually being set up to steal that time and to sell it to advertisers basically. Um, and so we wanted to kind of, I mean, our job is to make mountain bike films. We see our job is to get people inspired to get out and ride bikes. And there's people working uh, in other companies whose job it is is to make you spend as much time watching Netflix or not just to pick on Netflix, but to watch watching TV or to spend scrolling on social media. So we kind of wanted to flip the script a little bit and be like, well, our job is to get you to spend as much time on your bike as possible. And our our media to do that is, is films
0: it's pretty interesting. I think for those of us of a certain age, sometimes this can start to sound a little bit quaint or cute. And yet, I mean, you guys have kids, you know, but it seems like as you're talking and looking at the habits and practices and activities of people in their 20s and people in their teens and people in their early teens, it's like this starts to sound less like oh that's kind of a nice message for some film guys to have and more like a yeah holy shit this is like a big deal totally
2: I mean it was kind of crazy when we started like Darcy said kind of going down that rabbit hole kind of like in researching and we had seen it with our own kids we'd even seen it in our jobs where you know some of the commercial projects and stuff that we were doing where people like heavy hitting agencies in New York were coming to us and basically saying, you know, like, how do you make this edit in eight seconds? That's how long people's yeah. attention span is. And you're just thinking, well, that's kind of messed up, you know, and then you start to go a little bit deeper. I think one of the first things that we watched was there's a real cool video that, um, this guy Tristan Harris, um, did. And I think it, I think it was called time well spent. Um, And that was super inspirational for us where he was talking about technology and the way that technology is designed to, to basically become addictive and that, but you could take technology and use it in a way to actually give you more time, but that's not the way that the current uh, marketplace is set up. Uh, So then you start looking at that and you start going deeper and deeper and all of a sudden you just see it everywhere, right? You're going to going for lunch and everyone's just sitting there staring at their phones and, um, yeah, it start. You start to kind of the more the more you the more you look for it, the m- all of a sudden you just see it's it's everywhere. And you know, we think that, and I think that people from I mean, us in the outdoor space and the people who are you know who know what it's like to kind of get outside and like Dar said, it doesn't need to be biking; it can, it can be anything really. But to get outside and immerse yourself in nature, I think we we inherently know it and uh, how powerful it can be. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of when we made this film, we did want to sort of, it, you know, it's, that thinking was behind it and how do we kind of, without being like preachy and kind of going into like, there's tons of documentaries that you can watch about all this stuff. Um, so we kind of came at it in in our own way, the way that we, that we make films and that's, that's what Return to Earth really is. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about some of these outdoor locations where you guys filmed Return to Earth.
1: We spent quite a bit of time in Hawaii. We were there for a month uh, shooting one of the opening and closing segments of the film. Um, we were down in Argentina for a couple of weeks doing a backcountry trip there. Um, we shot in Switzerland, Wales, uh, Colorado, and Crested Butte. And uh, Moab, uh, Squamish, of course, and Whistler, uh, we shot uh, in the Whistler Bike Park. And Quebec, um, we shot there with Vanderham and, and our dog in the fall color segment. And that should cover it, I think.
0: It probably wasn't the most beautiful outdoor-specific location, but it made me really happy to see that Crested Butte's Chainless World Championship <laughs> made it into the film because that is just an amazing event. And, uh, you know, it, that event in itself isn't designed to compete with like the the beauties of Hawaii or something, but it's also a real fun event.
1: Yeah, we were uh, pretty uh, excited to be there for it. And we specifically timed our trip to make sure we were there for Bike Week because uh I was kind of early on in the, in the making of that segment, which we call the community segment. Um, and we just wanted to go to a few different iconic bike, um, towns and cultures around the world and try to capture the essence of, of biking culture. And, um, and so that of course came to mind. And I mean, obviously Crested Butte is a major epicenter for biking and, bike culture and the culture there is just off the hook. I mean, the amount of bikes that are around town and, um, just that week with the chainless DH and there's the 24 hour race as well. I mean, that stuff's just all time kind of representatives of bike culture. Pretty cool.
0: What was the trickiest location to shoot? Um,
1: in Argentina, the the wind was a huge factor. Um, It's just relentless, like heavy, heavy wind. Um, So that was a bit of a challenge, and we just kind of learned to work on the leeward side of mountains, and and we just kind of moved around and just tried to stay out of the wind when we could. Um, But one of the other ones, like logistically, that I'm kind of the most proud of that we pulled off was the fall color segment in Quebec. We had planned that one for over a year and we had just done a ton of research and planning into making sure we were there for the right time and we gave ourselves a huge uh window to work within so we were basically on standby um for kind of late September and most of the month of October and we're just kind of ready to to move when we needed to so um so I had gone there ahead of time and pre-scouted um all the trails that we wanted to film so when we were there we we could hit the colors right and of course it was the fall was a really quick one that year so um we had to be very strategic moving our way around the different mountains and different trails to to make sure we were always filming in the right colors because literally you would be in a forest one day and it'd be absolutely beautiful and the next day the leaves would be completely gone
2: and it's kind of cool about that too because the whole idea with that segment was to capture how there's these little moments in time and if you're out there uh in nature and like you kind of have to be there so that was a cool idea to but then logistically to actually pull it off and get a film crew and book shoots and you know to actually time it right to to be there to, to nail it uh took a huge amount of work like Darcy was talking to like people at, universities in quebec and you know like meteorologists and all this and locals on the ground and it was a a huge amount of work to actually to actually nail it uh and and it was turned out amazing
0: we obviously got to talk about the riders in this film there's a lot of phenomenal riding but one of the things that just stood out so much was were the whistler kids this group of i believe it was 10 to 15 10 at the youngest, 15, there was one 15-year-old, so it's mostly kind of 11-year-olds. And um, my managing editor, Luke Kappa, he just sent me this note. He saw the film before I did, and he just wrote the Grom segment. No 10- to 15-year-olds should be that good. Absolutely insane. That was <laughs> That was Luke's short review. And I'm like, yeah, no, that pretty much nails it.
1: The cool thing with that too, I mean, those kids, the kids that we worked with, they are obviously so talented and we were happy to really work with them. And, um, but what's cool these days with the kids and especially in this, this area, cause we live here and I guess we see it and around the Whistler bike park is, um, that talent pool goes pretty deep. It's pretty mind blowing the level that the kids are riding at these
0: days. I don't even know what to say. Like what, what, are these kids going to be doing in five to 10 years (laughs) if they're doing this right now? Yeah,
1: I know. It's, it's kind of hard to imagine. And, and, uh, I just remember even having those thoughts like 10 years ago thinking like, man, where's like, where's it all going to go next? I mean, it's, it's crazy. The, uh, the ability that they have, you know, the bike handling skills and, the level of tricks and just their vision for the sport um yeah i mean it's only really for them to say i guess where that's all gonna go but uh it's pretty exciting to think about the future of the sport when you look at kids that are riding at that level at such a young age
2: yeah i don't know if you know this but darcy's son was one of the riders in that
0: i did not realize that darcy your son is uh max max
1: yeah um yeah, yeah. I mean that adds to a whole other level of uh well stress, I guess, when you're filming and they're doing crazy dangerous stuff. And um you know, I mean for all the kids, of course, it's you know, it's always nerve wracking, I guess, filming. Um some of the more high consequence stuff. Um, I think probably over the years I've become more um I wouldn't say nervous because, you know, it's my job and I'm always calm when we're filming. But like in my head, of course, I'm aware of the consequences and have seen bad things happen over the years. So, um, yeah, that definitely added another dynamic, having my own son be in front of the camera. Um, But I was really happy, you know, by the end of the shoot, none of the kids actually crashed. We had no crashes during that whole film shoot.
0: That is amazing. And again, especially zero crashes in that caliber of riding. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny when people, when old people are like, "Eh, kids these days," you know. And I'm just like, I don't know. All the kids I see are just freaking amazing and smart. And I, I, uh, I think I tend to roll on the side of optimism about the future when I see the the ability levels and the intelligence and the. Uh, the determination, I mean, these are grand generalizations, of course, but I think the future is in good hands. My God. Yeah.
2: I think it's pretty cool. Like, like Darcy said, there's so much, there's such a, like here in Squamish and in Whistler, like mountain biking has become just part of the culture. It's just like everybody does it. Every kid has a mountain bike and not all of them obviously are riding on that level, but there's trails out everybody's doorstep. Uh, everyone has like a, a decent ride that they can do. Some kids have these amazing bikes, but other kids have just, you know, like nice, decent hardtails, which is something none of us even had when we were, when we were younger. As soon as you give them these tools and you put it in their hands, it's amazing to see how they'll take it up. Like the same thing, you put a video game controller in a kid's hand and all of a sudden they will be like amazing video game players, right? but you put a bike in their hands, you know, you can kind of get the same result and maybe a little bit healthier healthier choice too. So uh it's it's cool to see how in the places where where it's accessible and hopefully it continues to spread with th- like things like pump tracks and little community trail networks and stuff like that. Uh I mean, I definitely think the the future is bright.
1: They um just a funny little story yesterday they were <laughs> All up there. My son was up there with um, with a couple of the other kids from the film. One of them is Anthony Shelley. He's a Whistler local. And they were doing a little film shoot for Spawn Bikes, which is the company that they all ride for. Um, and they were measuring. Um, they brought out a tape measure, and they're trying to see. Not only are they riding Crabapple Hits, but they're trying to see how big they could go. And so, of course, Anthony is, like, landing at the bottom of the transition and he went 67 feet and he's 12 and these kids are just insane yeah uh yep it's scary (laughs) like but they're so confident you know i mean it's um i that's the only thing i guess you can say that just can maybe help with like the understanding the risk of it all that they they do know what they're doing like
2: there's such a everyone you do hear people oh it's dangerous and what about they could hurt themselves and but it's like what's the risk that you're taking when you don't expose your kid to risk like it's such an important thing i think for for, to learn when you're like growing up you know
0: well you had a few other riders in this film too uh some pretty notable ones. Maybe testament to how great these kids are is that we haven't been talking about Semenuk or Casey Brown or Brett Reeder or Thomas, etc. Uh again, good on you kids. I mean we're we're not gonna have the time to talk about each one. I did want to just talk a little bit about Brett. He
1: was really motivated uh this year to um, put as much time as he could into this film and and have a good showing i mean he's somebody who's never satisfied with um, with his writing and is constantly pushing himself and so when we were very early in the the planning process of the film um, he said that he's never really been happy with what he's filmed with us and he wanted to change that and this time around he really wanted to put together something that um, that he could be truly proud of. So um, it's cool. I'm really happy for Brett for this film because he put the most time into this film um, of anyone. I think between the Hawaii segment and, um, and Utah, he put close to 10 weeks into the project. Um, and he was in Utah for a long time, but... Um, being involved in the build and of course scouting and riding and dealing with weather and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, he put a ton of work into it and I think that's what shows.
0: I think you've given anybody who's into mountain biking a lot of different, uh, segments and snippets where they're going to find a lot of different kind of favorite elements, but the riding in Utah was just to me remarkable and, and, uh, yeah, what what Brett was throwing down was just something else.
1: Yeah, he. I mean, he is. Uh, it's incredible how focused he is on what he wants to pull off, and he had a pretty clear idea in his head of um, tricks he wanted to do and the types of lines he was looking for. Um, and the way we approached that too. I mean, the reason we brought machines in and a very robust building team um is that we didn't want there to really be anything holding him back um in terms of line selection or creativity um you know we've done shoots in utah before and often you go there and say oh it would be cool if we could do this but it's too much work and we don't have you know weeks and weeks to to build stuff um so we went to, um, to Big Water, which is just on the border of Utah and Arizona. And uh, that particular area has been filmed um, a fair amount by other film crews. Um, but no one had, I think, gone through the extent of permitting it like we did. And that did make all the difference.
0: One... I guess more of a technical question about the cinematography that I wanted to ask you about in the last segment in Hawaii. I'm watching this thing and there's this really cool, it's not a follow cam, it's kind of a lead cam. And it just was a really striking look that I don't feel like I've seen before. And I was like, did they have like a drone flying in front of these riders, except the drone's like backward, apparently, and... And then in the credits, we see this rigging of a camera set up on an actual mountain biker. And I was like, maybe that is what I was seeing that looked so unusual and interesting. Can you guys straighten me out here? The way we shot that final segment in Hawaii
1: was... um quite a process. Uh, we had learned a lot when we had done uh, Seminox, uh One-Shot uh, for Unreal and so this time we wanted to just be more dynamic and more kind of in and amongst the riding. So it started with custom building that entire track from top to bottom and then um, at the same time building a filming trail that was sometimes um, beside the, the track, sometimes crossing it, um, and sometimes was on the same trail. Um, and so I was um, had a camera mounted on me, and I was on uh, an electric dirt bike, which was really nice because obviously it was quiet, and when you're descending, it does run a lot like a mountain bike. Um, and then we had taken a, the frame of a Steadicam um, and flipped it around and custom made a rig that basically dangled the uh, the red Epic um, on a Movi um, dangling off the back. So, So my job on the bike was just to make sure that my proximity and timing with the riders was always where we wanted it to be. Um, And then at the same time, there was also a road that was nearby the trail at all times, always within about 150 feet. Um, And on that road was my partner, Darren, who was sitting in a side-by-side, and he would be operating the pan and tilt and zoom and focus of the camera um, throughout the shot. So... I mean by the time it was all kind of coming together there was probably close to 20 people all kind of working in harmony to try and make that shot make that shot work so a lot of rehearsal went into it and that's part of the reason we were in Hawaii for so long it was because it took um a month to build that track and that filming road and as it was getting built and finalized, the riders were starting to rehearse certain sections. And at the same time, we were rehearsing our moves. By the time we actually got the shot, I mean, everybody's rehearsed their part so much that it is just kind of a, a big choreographed routine that just
0: happens from top to bottom. I want to just talk a little bit about one of the things that has been something that you guys have been up to and talking about is this 30-day challenge. Tell me a bit about that.
2: Well, that was an idea that we had, because whenever we do these films, we like to have kind of cool little contests. Our partners at Trek and Shimano always put together like a really cool signature bike that's custom painted and, you, and people get a chance to win it. So we've done, you know, like photo contests and these kinds of things in the past, but just with the theme of the film being about, you know, getting out and riding your bike as much as possible and, and making the most of the time that you have, we didn't want to do a typical contest. So we had this idea. I think it was actually Darcy's wife was doing a running contest where she had to run 30 days in a row. Um, and he was like, we need to do this for the movie. And then we talked to our friends at, at Pink Bike and Trail Forks. Um, and we're like, can we do this? Can we make this happen on like a global scale? And they were totally into it. And it just kind of came together, um, like that. And so the idea is that basically anyone in the world can sign up, um, and you starting on July 1st, uh, you were, you ride every single day. And if anyone who rides 30 days in a row, uh, is entered to win this custom return to earth bike, um, And then there's daily prizes and stuff like that. So lots of people are also riding during the day as well, or just doing dailies, not doing the full 30 days. But the cool thing is that it's really kind of like taken on a bit of a life of its own with all kinds of people posting and saying it's not about the bike anymore. It's really just about me getting out on my bike. And, um, you know, like being out on the trails and how, it, and it's like you, if you go on and you actually look up like the hashtag 30 day ride challenge, you can actually see people talking about how this experience has sort of transformed the way they, um, the way they see riding bikes and, um, and how it's kind of changed them personally, the way that they feel as well, which is, is really cool. Um, and I mean, our hope is that by doing this, that it will actually form a habit. There's a lot of research out there that says, you know, if you do something 30 days in a row, then it actually becomes sort of ingrained in a habit. And so I I think that would be really cool as well. Um, There's about 2,200 people or 28 days into the contest. There's about 2,200 people who are still doing it Um, and riding every single day, at least one trail a day. Uh, there's only two days left and, um, yeah, it's pretty cool to see. I think there's been, um, over like when we were about halfway through, there was, um, 817,000 kilometers, uh, of trails that had been ridden, um, and over 60,000 rides recorded. So, um, I mean, we think that when it all, we got to see what it all sort of adds up at the end, but I mean, we're pretty excited. I think, in miles that's like 500, 500 miles, so it'd be pretty cool if we got over a million miles ridden after after thirty days that would be that would be pretty amazing.
0: How do you guys size up the current landscape of mountain bike films um, I think for us,
1: you know we've always been supportive of all sorts of different films coming out within the mountain bike space and we're firm believers that there should be diversity, um, in the films that exist in our sport. Um, also because we're very firm believers that, um, mountain bike films are an important part of the culture of our sport um, not just the long format, but also the premieres, and and the fact that it gets people together, and it can be such a tool for um, for inspiration and motivation to to share. So, I mean, I like the idea of seeing all different kinds of films. You know, I wish there was um, more race films um, that came out. I'd, you know, it'd be cool to see more stuff that. Uh, goes more in depth into the slope style side of things as well. And um, there's a lot of different interesting characters uh, in the sport, of course. And so to see more uh, films centered around different athletes would be cool. Um, it's hard to say whether it's going to happen. I mean, the one thing with the, the landscape is that it's it's not that easy to pull off a film these days. It's a lot of work. And that requires a lot of time, and that ultimately requires um, on any scale, still a decent amount of money um, to keep to keep somebody or a team of people fed and traveling around and making films, right? So um, I don't know. I mean i'd I'd like to see more more films and more funding going towards films.
0: What's the best question I haven't asked you?
1: Mm, That is a good one. It is um, to do with why, why do we think it's so important to motivate people to mountain bike more? You know, I mean, so much of what we talk about and so much of what we do, we're constantly talking about inspiring people to get out and ride. And when we work with brands within the industry, the conversation is always around... Um, growing the sport Um, and I mean it seems like an obvious question of well why should we grow the sport Um, and I think sometimes within some of these sports um, you know there's definitely a fear from certain groups of people that oh if it gets too big is it going to get ruined or will it get changed in terms of the way I like it but um, I think we all firmly believe that mountain biking is the kind of sport that only gets better as more people join it. And I think the evidence to that is if you look back 20 years at where the sport was, I mean it was great. Mountain biking's always been awesome, but it's definitely better now. Um we have more great minds working on bike designs um and just having a lot of people working on the engineering side ultimately means better bikes and on the trail building side it means more trails better trails Um, more pro riders means the level gets raised um more people in the sport is a very good thing and it's and i think if everyone in the world rode bikes we would definitely have a lot of trails and a lot of places to ride and it would only be a better thing so um so i think it's pretty important for everyone to stop and think, well, do we want to grow this thing? And um, absolutely we should, because there's a town somewhere in the States right now that might only have a few bike trails, but maybe 10 years from now it'll have 100 and and it'll be a positive thing.
0: My last conversation on this podcast was with Dave Weens, the executive director of VIMBA, and I thought Dave spoke really well about the significance and the importance of just building out trail networks everywhere. You guys are in a very cool spot for mountain biking. We're lucky to be in a great spot for mountain biking here in CB. And, and these places are wonderful to visit, and that's all great. But I just love this idea, too, that there are a lot of smart people and good people and organizations that really are looking about. How do we bring these good trail networks maybe in some unexpected places? And I think that unlike a sport like skiing, mountain biking really, we can build interesting trails in a whole lot more places where skiing, you kind of have to have uh, some bigger mountains and snow and snowpack and the like. And so here's hoping that... um, the next five and 10 years really is where we just continue to see a development of trail networks. And I think, um, I'm, I'm with you. I just think that is going to be a positive development on all fronts.
2: I don't know if you're noticed, but I just read a study the other day where I guess in Scotland, they did a bunch of research and they actually used mountain biking to help people recover from depression and, um and they found that it was more it was more effective than uh than clinical studies because it gets you out into nature it's challenging uh you know like it actually you can like have realistic challenges where you can fail and then ultimately succeed you can get in this sort of flow state and then yeah just being like immersed in nature there's all kinds of research that shows how important that is and when you think about the bike and the mountain bike specifically, it's like the most efficient way to kind of immerse yourself in the in nature. Um, you know, even more so than hiking. Like if you put e-bikes into the equation, um, you know, pretty much anyone who knows how to who can how, knows how to ride a bike can all of a sudden find themselves in these spectacular natural landscapes, and they exist all over the place. You just need to have the trails and the infrastructure to get people into them, and then if people are getting into them then all of a sudden they have a connection to them and they're much more likely to want to protect them and preserve them moving forward. So um yeah, I mean I think it's easy to think it's just riding bikes, but there are some pretty big issues that bikes can play a major role in. Um and it's it's cool for us to, to have
0: a have a role in that. It's funny when when I was naming this show, you know, Bikes and Big Ideas, What I actually really wanted to name it was Bikes and Other Big Ideas. That title just started getting a little bit long, Um, but I I totally agree with you. I mean, I I still do think, think of the bike itself as a big idea, as a huge, amazing bit of technology. And I don't mean just the 2019 stuff. I mean like the whatever 1870s stuff right, as a form of transportation, as a way of getting around, um, a, a much cleaner way of getting around. And as we've got increasing transportation issues to solve and the like, as we've got depression issues to try to mitigate, it is a powerful tool. Um, yeah, so I think I like that you guys are pushing on the, the bike as in and of itself a big idea. And uh, we are certainly in agreement on that one. Well, gentlemen, thank you for this conversation, and thank you for this film that you've made. People can go find it on iTunes. They can find it on Vimeo, and I believe you said that on both of those platforms, there are some additional features?
2: Yeah, there's a whole bunch of extra features like photography slideshows from Sterling Lawrence and extra drone reels and slow-mo reels and all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, so that if you do want to dive a little deeper only when you'd have the right time
0: to do it, (laughs) that's right. That's right. When it's dark or raining or you're recovering from the ride you just went on, but yeah, well, congratulations on the effort. And, uh, at this point, I think I'll just say we're, we're already looking forward to the next, to the next thing. Thanks so much. Take care. See ya. Bye. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Darcy and Ian for the conversation. And you can check out Return to Earth either at returntoearth.movie, or you can find it on iTunes and Vimeo with some extras that you might want to check out. And you can also find it on Google Play or Amazon Prime. And then, as I also mentioned, you might want to check out this conversation I had with Dr. Michael Merzenich over on our Blister podcast platform. And as always, I want to say thanks again to Luke Alley for producing this episode. Thanks to you for listening, and we will talk to you again next week.